be reading from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 30. If you would like to follow along in your own Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. Here the Apostle Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Thank you, John. Move this back just a little bit so I don't knock it over, which is a distinct possibility. I'm not an expert on this, but I'm going to teach you what God says, and he's an expert on this. So if there are any uh, husbands in here and, and, and wives whose child did not go to preschool praise, I might recommend you let them sit in between you and your wife this morning just in case you know you don't want anybody to leave here with sore ribs <laughs> from the center for social justice comes this quote stable healthy families are at the heart of strong societies it is within the family environment that an individual's physical emotional and psychological development occurs. From our family, we should learn unconditional love, understand right from wrong, and gain empathy, respect, and self-regulation. These qualities enable us to engage positively at school, at work, and in society. And yet, tragically, half of all children born today will experience family breakdown by the age of 16. This breakdown is particularly acute in the most disadvantaged communities. Evidence clearly demonstrates that two-parent families are the most stable. And then Louise Kirk, uh, UK coordinator for Alive to the World Character Education, spoke about the scourge of sex education overtaking schools. Here's what she said. This is a scourge because from a breakdown of the passing down of values, from parents in all of our societies, children are lost, she said. And there's no one to pick them up and aspire them to marriage. And then finally, according to the head of the World Congress of Families, the breakdown of the family unit is responsible for 90% of the world's poverty. The managing director of the Congress, Larry Jacobs, told attendees that 90% of poverty can be solved simply through the affirmation of marriage. And, you know, we live in a time in which many are trying to redefine marriage and the family. But we know that God created marriage and he created the family. 
and he created it to function in a specific way for the absolute best results. And when God's way is perverted, then, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when there are problems. So what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is is not question God's design for the family. I mean, who are we to question God's design? Instead, we're going to remind ourselves as to what God's design for the family is. And so we're going to begin today with God's magnificent plan for the husband. What does the word of God say about husbands? God created Adam and out of Adam, he created Eve. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, increase the size of your family. And the structure of our society is founded on the family, a family composed of a husband, a wife and children. So when families break up, it becomes or it creates dysfunction. And that doesn't mean that single moms are dysfunctional. You know, many single moms are heroic And single dads, too, in their attempts to try to provide a normal family life when the family breaks up. But it just isn't ideal. When many families break up, it results, of course, in societal dysfunction, which is what's going on in our society and has been for quite some time. You know, that's why we have agencies like Hillcrest and Synergy and and, and agencies like that. In Genesis 2.24, God said a man shall leave his father and mother and be and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When a man marries, he leaves his mother and father. It doesn't mean he never sees them again or, or cuts off all communication with them. It means that he starts a new family, which now becomes his primary responsibility as opposed to the family in which he was reared. Now, some men and even women have a difficult time leaving their family of origin. And there are a myriad of reasons for that, I'm sure. Sometimes the father or mother isn't really ready to let them go. Uh, Sometimes there are insecurities that make that transition difficult. The son's readiness to, to leave may be an issue. But what works best is what God designed. A husband must leave his mother and father, and form a bond with his wife. When husbands or wives fail to truly leave their mothers and fathers, there are going to be problems. And this new family will not function as well as God intended it to function. Now, what can make that transition even more difficult is what happened to mankind, of course, when sin came into the world. You know, in Genesis 3.16, God told Eve that her desire would be for her husband, which might explain... Why there is sometimes a little tension between mothers-in-law and and daughters-in-law. You know, there is a proverb that says a daughter is a daughter all of her life, but a son is a son until he takes a wife. So a good husband manages that relationship between his mother and father and his wife. God clearly says the wife takes Priority. Therefore, mothers and fathers need to understand that and make it easy for the son to focus on his wife because the wife's desire is for her husband. My parents and Kim parent, Kim's parents were really good at not interfering with our marriage by placing any demands on our family. They stayed out of our affairs. 
If we needed help, I mean, they were there. We, we could ask them for anything and they would help. But they never gave us any, you know, subtle hints like, you know, we've been having Christmas together for this many years and you know, it sure would be nice if you guys could, you know, be here. I mean, n- none of that. We we weren't required to go certain places with them and uphold certain traditions with them. They didn't place those expectations on us. They basically let us live our own lives. Make our own foolish decisions sometimes. And, and actually, I was thankful for that. And, and I hope Kim and I can be the same toward, you know, our children and their mates. We're, we're trying. I don't know how well we're doing, but we're trying. God's plan for the husband is also to be the head of his wife. In Ephesians 5.23, as we read, Paul wrote that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And in 1 Corinthians 11:3, Paul wrote, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. And most commentators believe that that head means leader, not taskmaster. The husband is to lead his family, including his wife. Now, if you say that in a different setting than here in the church, you get some raised eyebrows. Uh, the reason for that is, the, you know, of course, the unbelieving world does not abide by the will of God. And, and, and for the most part, they don't really know very well what the will of God is. Paul wrote this in two different churches. He wrote this to the Ephesians. He wrote this to the Corinthians. So it means this is God's will for the family, that the husband be the leader of his family. Christ is the head of the church because he died for the church. There wouldn't be a church had he not died for her. But but how does he function as the head of the church? How does Jesus function as the head of the church? He doesn't lord it over us. You know, he doesn't send angels in dark suits with brass knuckles to force us into submission. It's strictly voluntary. It's voluntary. But there are consequences for choosing not to submit And he lays out clearly what those consequences are in regard to the church. You'll be eternally separated from God. If you refuse to submit to Jesus and his will, you will be eternally separated from God. Those who want to be in the church, which means being among the saved and receive the blessings that come from being in the church, voluntarily acknowledge and submit to his authority. Absolutely. I love submitting to Christ. I wouldn't have it any other way. A good husband understands that the wife submits to him because she submits to Christ. It simply means that she accepts that she recognizes Christ's authority over her and desires to please Christ by submitting to her husband, by following the will of God. The good husband welcomes that. The good husband doesn't take advantage of that. The good husband recognizes that his wife's submission is Voluntary, just as submitting to Christ is voluntary. The good husband also recognizes that his wife is not inferior simply because she voluntarily subordinates herself to him. That's not a sign of weakness. In fact, that's a sign of strength. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3, 7 that the husband should understand that the wife is the weaker vessel from a physical standpoint. And rather than take advantage of that, as some husbands do, you should honor her so that the husband's relationship with Christ 
is not hindered, which is what it says. If husbands don't treat their wives properly, it affects their relationship with God. I think most husbands would acknowledge, maybe in the privacy of of their home, that their wives are superior to them in many ways. My wife has gifts that I don't have. For example, my wife has the gift of knowing the right thing to say at the right time. Let me just give you an example. Uh, A few months ago, we were in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, we have an alarm system in our house, and the keypad started going off. It was just, you know, woke us up in the middle, you know, dead sleep. I thought, well, that sounds like the alarm. So I went over, I walked over to the keypad, you know, I'm kind of groggy, and I punched in the, 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 the code, and it didn't turn off. So I punched it in again, and finally it went off. Now, that has never, ever happened before. That the keypad was was just going on, so I thought, well, okay, maybe the siren that goes off in the house malfunction that, that we really do have an intrusion. So I thought I need to go down and check this out. So I started to walk downstairs, and Kim just says, "Take your cell phone with you." You know, I thought, well, that's a good suggestion. If I see an intrusion, I can call nine one one. So I, I got went back and got my cell phone. I started to go downstairs. She said, "And put your glasses on so you can see what you're doing." I thought that was a good suggestion. So so I did. So so she has gifts that I don't have, which is why I'm probably still alive today. Paul taught the Ephesians that the husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church by giving himself up for his wife to sanctify her and make her holy. Christ, as we know, gave his life up completely. To make his bride, the church, holy. In other words, to provide for her needs. Our needs. So the good husband sacrifices himself in order to meet the needs of his wife. All wives have certain emotional needs that only the husband can meet. Not all wives have the same emotional needs, but they all have emotional needs. And and we do too. Husbands do as well. And I've shared with you on other occasions, Paul tells the husband in 1 Corinthians 7, 3, that husbands and wives have an obligation, actually, to meet each other's needs. And in this context, he's referring to sexual needs, but it's not limited to that. When I do premarital counseling with couples, I give them a list of emotional needs based on the book. And you've heard me mention it before, His Needs, Her Needs by Dr. Willard Harley. And I ask them to, to list those needs in order of importance. I ask the wife to list her needs and I ask the husband to, to list his needs. And then I ask them to trade papers so that each one will be able to see what their future mates needs are. And most wives will list affection and financial support and honesty and openness and conversation or family commitment as their highest emotional needs. And husbands If you aren't sure what your wife's emotional needs are, ask her. Just ask her. Uh, And she'll probably be happy to tell you after she picks herself up off the floor. And if and if you're afraid to ask her because, you know, she might faint and hurt herself when she falls, then I suggest you go to Amazon.com or CBD and buy the book His Needs, Her Needs, because it details the 10 most common needs that husbands and wives have. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7.33, that the married man is concerned about pleasing his wife. 
or at least he should be. The proverb, happy wife, happy life, is true. Uh, The good husband should be concerned about pleasing his wife. God created her to be the husband's helper, not his slave. In the culture in which Paul wrote, of course, women were treated more like slaves than partners. Paul told the Colossian church, chapter 3, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them, he says. Peter wrote again in 1 Peter 3, 7, Your wife ought to be treated with honor and respect because she is also an heir of eternal life just like you are. A Christian wife, as we know, is also a husband's sister in Christ. We're told in other places that a husband and wife are one flesh. We're also told in Galatians 3.28 that in the kingdom we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither male, there's no male-female distinction in the kingdom. In other words, we're all on equal footing when it comes to our relationship with God. So a Christian husband and wife are not only one in the flesh, but they're one in the spirit. What a blessing that is. And the good husband recognizes that his wife is a blessing. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And I think most Christian husbands understand that, but we aren't always very good at expressing it. And instead of me giving you an example, I, I thought I'd show you a little video that kind of delineates that for us. So go ahead and play the video. I messed up. So I told her, you got a mirror, you can see what you look like in those jeans. So anyway, I don't know what to do. You just talk to her. And tell her what? You tell her how you feel. I did. I told her, I feel like you look like your mother. Okay, no, you, you need to use your words. You know, romantic words. Oh. Wait, what? Okay, um, honey, uh, you, you take your wife by her hands and you just pour into her. Wait, 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 wait. Am I holding her hands or am I pouring something? I, I can't do both. What? No. Todd... You are going to pour words into your wife. You look her in the eyes, dead set, and you just let go. Because that's what she does to you, Todd. She makes you let go. And you say to her, you mean everything to me. And I would let go of everything if it means that I just get to hold you for the rest of my life. And that's what you do. What are you doing? I'm calling my wife, and you are going to tell me some pretty words to say to her. We are not doing this. Hey, babe. No, 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 don't hang up. Don't hang up. Um, I was an idiot. And I know you said some things, too. You shouldn't have. You don't say that. I'm, that's what I meant. I meant I have some things to say to you. Right now. No. While we're on the phone. Stop it. Just listen. 
She said, I have two minutes. What do I say? What do I say? I'm sorry. For what? Don't you tell her that. I'm sorry. Babe? She's still there. I can hear her breathing. Tell her I love you and you mean everything to me and I am a fool because I'll tell you that more often. Um, I'm a fool for loving you and I should say that stuff more often. You are the only reason I am half the man I am. Your love and constant support is my daily breath. I'm half the man I am because of you. And your love is a constraint. Constant support. No, I'm sorry. Oh, no, your love is constantly on my breath. Daily. You are the greatest blessing God has ever given me. And you are perfect for me. Babe, you're the, you're the best thing God ever did for me. You're perfect. For me, you're perfect. You're, you're not perfect. I can't hear you. Sunsets are more beautiful when you are on the horizon. Um, you're more beautiful at sunset on the horizon. It totally worked. Babe, I'm gone in 60 seconds. What a moron. You were great. I know, right? The words you said, I heard. I had no idea. Seriously? You had no idea that some women fall for that stuff? (laughs) I'm just glad you're not that gullible. By the way, what's for dinner? I've messed up. Use your words, my friend. Use those words. The good husband recognizes that his wife is one of God's ways of showing favor to you. The good husband, therefore, loves his wife sacrificially by making every effort to meet her needs. Physical, emotional, and spiritual honors her, treats her with consideration, respect, and is not harsh with her. When a husband loves his wife, he demonstrates to the world the love Christ has for his church. According to Ephesians 5.33. When you treat your wife in that way, you will receive many blessings from her, which will more than compensate for the sacrifices you make for her. Paul is the one who wrote, He who loves his wife loves himself. The one way in which a person demonstrates love for himself or herself, of course, is first by turning his or her life over to Jesus. Faith in Jesus Living according to his word is the most rewarding and fulfilling life one can experience in this life or the next. Those of us who are Christians, we know that. 
The Lord extends his invitation to you this morning, not just to husbands, but to to all to come to him by confessing your faith, by deciding to turn away from sin, by dying to sin in baptism so that you can have the blessings that Jesus is ready to pour out into your life. And so that you can begin living uh, your life in a way uh, that pleases him and glorifies him. And it'll make you a better husband. It'll make you a better wife. And someday uh, you'll be in eternity with Jesus and God and all of those. So I have an opportunity for you to respond right now. You can come to the front if you wish to respond or you can go to the back. There'll be an elder in the back. There'll be an elder here in the front. We invite you now as we stand and sing.